1: the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com.
2: Hey, 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 hey.
3: Hello, and welcome back to She and Her. This is our second episode of our new season, And as we promised, we're going to be coming to you every week back to back for the next couple of weeks, sharing a lot of stories from women living in the South. And today we're going to be spending time with my roommate, Jamisa Yarborough. So here is Jamisa. it's not quite what you expected but my roommate Jamisa is in fact an opera singer and at just 26 years old she's already killing it. She was born and raised in Baltimore, Maryland and grew up in a family with a great love for music and in many ways she was always destined to become a
4: musician. My mother and father I'm their firstborn together and so they decided that they wanted to name me for themselves. So my first name was going to be Jamesa, and my my middle name is Latrina. So my mom's name is Trina, and my dad's name is James. But my dad thought that if he had read somewhere, that if your name had more ease in it, then it made you musical. So he <laughs> changed my name to Jamisa, and I have the most ease in my name than any of his other children. There you go. And, of course, I'm the one musician. So That seems like proof to me. Yeah. <laughs>
2: Jamisa has a master's in music and has performed on stages in the United States and in Italy. And she's living in North Carolina this year to take a break and kind of assess where she is and what she hopes for her career moving forward. So We sat down and had a full conversation with her about what it's like to be an opera singer. And she started by talking about how her passion for singing began.
4: Uh, When I was a little kid, I used to sing R&B music a lot. And, you know, just around the shower, in the car, you know, (laughs) all the normal places. But when I was going into um, high school, I decided that I really wanted to sing. And I didn't really know what that meant at the time. I just knew that I loved singing and it was a part of who I was at that point. And so my mom said, hey, try out for the Baltimore School for the Arts. Well, little did we know that the Baltimore School for the Arts only teaches the classical arts. So it was a little jarring at first to kind of understand what it was that I was sort of being thrown into. I remember I was sitting next to a senior at the time. So I was a freshman, brand new, fresh face. And they set me next to this The senior, and we were both from the same city. I mean, I'm from Baltimore, Maryland, so we were from Baltimore City and just were used to rap and R&B being all all around us. And they handed us Vivaldi's Gloria, (laughs) which is this, like, amazing piece of work. Um, But at the time, I was like, what is this crap? Like, why are they having us sing this? And the girl next to me, the the senior, was like, this is the best thing ever. I love this piece. I'm so excited. And her enthusiasm for this piece just attached to me, and I, I have to say, like Vivaldi's Gloria is one of my favorite pieces to listen to now. Um, it, it sort of taught, you know started that way. And, and how
2: how did you go from you know not having experiencing opera, you get into this program, you go through school, and, and now this is what you do. So talk about falling in love with opera?
4: Well, it wasn't as hard as some might think <laughs> because I think you when you first start getting into opera, you think opera is this old, this really stuffy thing. It's only for people wearing, you know, coats and tuxedos and, you know, long gowns. And you go to an opera and you truly just sit there and forget about all the people around you and start to get sucked into the story that you're seeing. And my first opera was Girl of the Golden West and... It was amazing. I just watched this lady have this very human transformation. And I understood it. And I'm, you know, at that point, I'm, you know, 15, 16 years old, having this experience of watching this woman, like, go through all these changes in her life and understanding how life functions through those eyes. We're in this, you know, 1,000, 2,000 seat house. And she's filling up this place like I'm standing next to her. Hmm. And it was amazing. It was awe-inspiring. How was she doing this? Where is this coming from? She's a small person. Like, where is it coming <laughs> from? And that's kind of how it happened. And you and you and you saw, I saw that, and then I started understanding how all the mechanics work in my body and how singing is produced. And I got excited and enlightened and energized and ready to do it. And so... When I heard this woman, how was she making the sound? Okay, why would they do that? Why would they put a five chord here? Why would they put a you know a minor chord here? I wanted to understand why, and as um, soon I found out that certain things in music directly linked with certain sounds, like we feel certain things based on what we're hearing. in Oh the music. yeah, that's so cool. Because I
2: under I, you know you you know when you're feeling hearing a sad song you. You know that sound emotes that, and you have the technical understanding, I guess, of what's going on in those moments, right? And Very and cool. it,
4: it's it was it was that that made me start to understand. And I thought, I thought, okay, that definitely links with mm. how I feel about this R and B song, or how I feel about this moment in this part of the opera. It's like a formula for excitement or a mm. formula for for sadness. Once you understand the formula, you understand how to recreate it. Mm. And as a performer, it is my job to make you feel something you never thought you could feel. It is my job to speak directly through your heart and make you understand something in your mind or about yourself that you never could do otherwise.
2: The first time I connected with opera in that way was very recently. And it's my mom and I were having a conversation about Aretha Franklin. And she was telling me about an Academy Awards where... Pavarotti was sick and Aretha Franklin stood, stepped in for him and performed this Nessun Dorma. Mm-hmm. And I remember watching that and literally tears came to my eyes. And I was like, oh, my God, this music is so powerful. And then I went down this Pavarotti rabbit hole. <laughs> and I was like, I have no idea what they're saying. But it is both the sound and the delivery of it, the
4: actual like way they emote on their faces that... It's so powerful. Well, and also, um, I I used to have a course teacher who used to say, um, it's viscera to viscera. Mm. So, like, you using your whole body and using all of your viscera to communicate with other people's viscera to get them right in the gut. Hmm. Yes. And I always thought that was, like, such a, like, it's gross, but it's amazing. (laughs) Oh, yeah, no. Of putting it. It's very true. Um, And... When you say power ready, I mean, come on. We're talking about a deep, deep, deep rabbit hole. I mean, that man is fantastic. There's nothing he can't (laughs) sing and nothing he can't do. And he's he's amazing. And there are a handful of people who are special enough to allow the world to go down those rabbit holes. Hmm. And it is my dream to be one of them. And I think being one of them requires so much sacrifice and so much of yourself. You know, that man gave us so much of himself. You know, being a singer, it's there's being any kind of performer. There's so much anxiety and sleepless nights and yards and yards of practice and things you're running and things you're up against that you never thought you would be. And uh, when you put all those things aside and you still go, but at the end of the day, my job is to deliver this, Mm. to make them feel this. And he had a he had a knack for that but because of the drama
3: and how that impacts sort of your psyche you've also described to me that like you have to do really specific things when you are in a role to like keep up that energy of the persona can you mm-hmm. tell us a bit about that and how it impacts like your relationships and what you're doing when you're off
4: stage so i'm sort of when i'm in a role i'm sort of an island uh i spend if i'm not with my character i'm by myself um and the reason that is, is because being inside someone, like, is difficult. Um, it's, it's like being multiple people, hmm. almost. You're not, you're not necessarily yourself, but you're not totally the other person. There's a lot of different voices and different feelings going on. So you're still worried about the music. You're still thinking about, oh, my gosh, am I singing correctly? Is my technique right? But then on top of all of those things, you have the voice of, this character needs to win out. And so I can become an island. Uh, when I'm in a character but when I'm not in a character and I get to just be Jamisa <laughs> oh my gosh my life is so much easier <laughs> because I'm being social and I'm going out to things and I'm doing things but when I'm in a character I sort of I would sort of go into myself hmm. to kind of rejuvenate myself for the next day and I think a lot of singers have that kind of I need to rejuvenate and we do it in different ways but for me it's not going out to the bar after it's <laughs> It's going back to my room and looking at the blank, looking at the wall and going, well, we did that today. So, <laughs> Well,
2: you mentioned that this business, this art requires a bit of sacrifice. Yeah. Talk about what that means to you in your life.
4: Um, as you can imagine, uh, even just talking about what we just talked about, having relationships in your life being sort of put on pause any time you're going into a character is difficult for people to understand and difficult for you to really understand because at first I didn't know that was what I was doing Hmm. and I couldn't communicate with people that that's what I was doing because I didn't understand it. You know, I'm a very, very um, extroverted person uh, normally and very excited and joyful and fun but when I'm in a role I tend to be a little bit more serious Um, just because I'm thinking not just through my own stuff, but through other stuff. And sometimes those characters get close, get close to you. And, mm. um, you have to be able to tell what's the character and what's you. And so sacrifices, I've sacrificed a lot of time, a crap ton of money. <laughs> 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 um, and I've, I've yelled at a few people I love, um, who still love me back. Thank God. um, <laughs> And I've neglected some friendships, and it's a double-edged sword. You know, you go, you go into it, you're excited, you're ready, you want a job, you want to do it, but then the moment you get a job, it can be overwhelming because you forget that you don't really have an escape hmm. if you don't make one. Mm. Let's talk a bit about
3: where you are in your sort of, like, trajectory of your career. So you went to School of the Arts in North Carolina, and then you went to... You got an MFA in Florida. Uh,
4: yeah, I, well, I got a um, a master's in music. A mm. master's in music. Yeah, okay. okay. And then, um, so I got my master's in the in May of 2015. I finished out everything, and you think, okay, so now I finished, and now I go on to the next thing. Well, my voice is a larger instrument, and so the larger the instrument the larger longer it takes for it to cook so it's like why mm-hmm. so <laughs> it's real good <laughs> when it's you know 10 years old not very good when it's 3 minutes old so <laughs> it's sort of that kind of uh, that kind of thing so um i'm still young like i said i'm an infant and w- and what i do my voice isn't really going to be fully matured to about 35. Wow. <laughs> my mind is blown. Yeah. So I have about a good 10 years to just <laughs> kind of twiddle my thumbs and look around, but not really. Because uh-huh. um, you have to stay relevant just like in any any business. You have to stay relevant. You have to stay in front of the right people. And you have to keep singing. So um, recently I did a, uh, you, do, you do competitions to help do that. You also do um, auditions to help you do that, to stay in front of people. Um, last year I did a Big audition tour. So I graduated and then I got sort of um, two mentors. Um, Those two together, they just became the team Jamisa. Hmm. And they helped me plan out a great audition season where I applied for certain things for the kind of programs that would accept a voice when it's fully matured that was like mine. And all of those companies and all of those competitions that I did said not yet said, we are excited about what's coming out of your throat. Not yet. <laughs> so um, so now I'm in that phase where I, I understood that. I heard them. And I said, okay, well, I'm going to take a mental health year. This is my mental health year, guys. Okay. So <laughs> my mental health year still consists of winning competitions and, <laughs> and constantly auditioning, too. But it's just because I c- you can't really rest. You can't yeah. really rest. You don't want to ever... Like, stop.
3: You also got some challenging messages during that year that you've sort of been sitting with now. Yeah, Do you want to talk a bit about those?
4: One of the big things in opera now is that opera, especially at the Met, is now HG, which means that you can go to a movie theater and see
2: opera on a screen. I've seen that at the theater. There's a theater
4: in Chapel Hill that offers that. Ah. It's amazing to yeah. be able to bring that world-class opera from the Met to people in small towns all over the world. It's amazing. But it comes with a sort of catch. Um, it means the people who are performing those, those roles have to be visually appealing for the screen. It means we have to be movie stars now instead of just opera singers. Um, things that you would never see from the Metropolitan Opera stage to the first row. So you got between Mm. where you're standing on stage, you got a ton of, you got a couple prosceniums, a ton of staging equipment, an orchestra, a conductor, you know, then it's the first seat. Mm. So that's quite, you know, 30, you know, it's like 30, 30, 40 feet, 50 feet, 100 feet. You know, it can be a varying degree, like so far away. And now they're two feet away from your face. Mm. And when you make an ugly face or when you slobber and have to wipe it off because, you know, that's that which I did see in an HD production once. Um, You have to, you know, you people see that and it seemed close up. And and so that means that your body has to look a certain way. That means that I mean, it was always sort of a a thing and became even bigger thing. When we have singers like Maria Callas who are incredibly beautiful and sold jewelry and perfume all over the world. And then when we got to uh, the big Covent Garden, um, Coven Garden hoopla about the very famous soprano Debbie Voight um, being, a certain, being of a certain size and the Covent Garden firing her because mm. she was fat. And so opera companies all over the world learned that they could do that. When the big companies do things like that, they remember, oh, they did it so I can do it.
3: Hmm.
4: And so for me, I got 10 years, but I got 10 years to get my body and my muscles and everything all taught and (laughs) good because we don't know how far. I mean, we already got to ultra HD now, so (laughs) we don't know how far that's going to go. So I have to lose weight. That's a that's a reality for me. Um, But it's not a harsh reality. It's a part of preserving the art. And I take that as a responsibility as well as an honor. Do you feel at all disappointed that that has to happen? For a long time, I did. For a very long time, I did. I was very angry at it Mm -hmm. because I felt like opera was all about when the fat lady sings. Like, so the fat lady, you need her to <laughs> sing in order for things to happen. And um and, and 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 then I sort of came to understand that if we're going to preserve the art, we have to we have to have this. But at the same time, like a lot of people there's been a lot of theories about where the big voices have gone. And there's been lots of articles on it because big voices come in big bodies. You need um more space, you need, you know, density, you need whatever it is that makes a large voice Wagnerian when the fat lady comes from Wagner and all of those opera singers are built like boxes. They're mm-hmm. they're built big people and they're tall and they're they're large women and large men. And now we don't want to see that. So if you have smaller bodies, you have smaller sounds, you don't have true Wagnerians anymore, you have sort of a compromised So if you lose the
3: weight, your voice will change and you'll be preserving the art because it can be shown to these communities, but not necessarily in the way that not preserving
4: the sound in the way that it's been before. Right. So that's that's the risk we run, I think, with losing with with losing weight. Um, I definitely know from experience of my yo yoing in my life that when I lost 30 pounds, my voice changed. I didn't know what to do with it for a while. Mm Um, and then I sort of got figured out how to work it again, but you, when you lose weight, you have to lose it slow and steady. You can't go and get gastric bypass and lose it all in a month because your voice changes and you lose it. Um, and you don't want to be, you don't want to lose your, your talent. You don't want to lose that. So is that standard the same for male opera singers? Yes and no. Um, there is some pressure for them, but there's less of them. So mm. I'm a soprano. Um, although I consider myself unique and a lot of people consider myself, my sound unique. It's not u- unique enough to overlook my weight. And so um, I'm still a soprano. There's to like a hundred of us. There's like one man. Mm. And so <laughs> even if my voice is the best out of the group, if the costume is going to cost them four times the amount as the one who's okay, the one who's okay is going to get it. That seems like such a disservice. Yeah, I,
2: I have an issue with it. <laughs> I do because, I mean, I think it's so interesting to me that because there's now a new medium to broadcast opera, it changes the way opera must be because of what people have been trained to expect from that particular medium. Mm-hmm. When that's really not what opera has been about
4: for centuries. It's very true. It's not what it's been about but we have to change with the times. We can't stay behind. I mean, we don't want the art to die. We don't want people to not know in 100 years what opera is. Hmm. And so if that means we have to go on TV, it means we have to go on TV. So how did you receive information that
2: you had to lose weight? Like, how, did, how was it presented to you?
4: Um, it is direct, but it's still, it's still a taboo to talk mm, about. Right. In circles. But... When I'm alone with someone, they'll say, hey, this will also help you. It's not said, like, you're fat. It's said, like, <laughs> it will also help. It will also be helpful if I you were see. smaller. I see. Um, and so – um in your mind, you always turn everything positive into a negative. That's what we do. So, <laughs> so of course, I went. Oh, so not this would help me. I'm fat, and this is terrible. So, <laughs> and I don't. I mean, I don't think it's terrible. I. I mean, I agree with them. Healthier lifestyle. It's going to be better for me in the long run, anyway, as a person. Um, but it is. It is sad that opera has changed that much. That it has to change that much.
3: How has being an opera singer? changed your relationship with your body would you say
4: well I understand my body because I'm an opera singer Mm -hmm. I understand things that I would I don't think I would have ever understood otherwise I'm very very in tune with my body I know when something's wrong I know when something's not right like something's slightly off when I wake up in the morning and my voice is low I'm like okay, today's a man day. Let's see what happens in the next 30 30 minutes. If it doesn't change, I need to warm up because I can't afford to speak this low in my voice. Mm -hmm. Or if I'm having a dry day, I'm very aware, okay, you need to drink water and you should have drank water two days ago, but (laughs) you need to drink water so that two days from now you can feel lubricated. I mean, I'm very in tune with what's going on because I have to be.
3: Yeah, I remember you were like, "Um, so the air filters, I think we need to
2: change.
4: (laughs) And I was like, oh, uh, yeah, okay. Things people don't think about. I'm like, I'm sneezing in my room. (laughs) So Anita was also
2: telling me a little bit about your work and what you do. And she was saying, too, that there's this thing in the field that if you have a child, it changes
4: your voice, too. Yeah. So can you talk about that? Yeah. Well, um, it has the potential to change your voice. I mean, it definitely changes your voice, but um, it has the potential to be extreme. Um, so first of all, your voice, your voice itself goes through a lot of changes as you become an adult. Um, so part of the reason that people are very hesitant at the, at 26 to take me on might be uh, because there's a voice change that happens around 29 or 30 so it your voice like flushes out or like gets deeper gets fuller and um that change is just a change that happens naturally well if you add into that a baby
0: <laughs>
4: your body learns with carrying a baby the baby lays on all of your viscera and so your body learns to use your di- learns to make space for the baby and there's different ways to breathe that apparently are glorious. I wish I knew. Um, There's ways to breathe and ways to do things and to feel things deeper than you ever could because you have a baby in there. Hmm. And so it changes the quality of your tone. Your tone tends to be thicker. Um, When you finish a pregnancy, your tone is usually thicker. It's usually fuller, um, more colorful. Um, In some extreme cases, I have heard that... um, if you say you have a, a son, um, some singers have lost notes from the top of their voices and have had to retrain their entire voice. And if that happens at the wrong time in your life, say I'm 26, I'm about to go through this thir- 29, 30 voice change, and I decide to get pregnant and have a baby and the baby turns out to be male, um, I could lose the top part of my voice. I could My voice could get lower. And if my voice got lower, I have to start from zero. Hmm. I have to start like I never knew how to sing again. Um, and I have to learn how to use my body all over it. When you, when you have any kind of surgery done to your stomach or any kind of baby, you have to relearn how to sing. Hmm. And it's easier when you're working with a familiar voice than if you're working with a different one. Um, but still, like, you know, being pregnant changes the way your, your body works. And this puts interesting sort of time pressures
3: on you because you're aware of these markers. And I know this conversation came about because we were decorating the Christmas tree and you were saying that you were struggling to get into the Christmas spirit last year.
4: Yeah. Well, because for me, my deadline to, like, have a baby was, like, 24. So that by 26, I'd be back. (laughs) I'd be back and ready to take on the next voice change and going with it. But, like... Um, to me, for me, if I really want to do this and I really do want to do this, d- be an opera singer and be an opera singer on the scale that I want, I can't really have children um past this point because it was my hope for my children that I would be home for the first few years of their lives, and right now, if I had a baby, I probably could make the deadlines that I'm thinking of, but like I'm not ready to have a kid right now. I'm, like, not stable enough to do that. And so, like, it's it's interesting that, like, having the urge to want to have kids, but, like, fighting it because if I do, there's a lot of things that get pushed back or could get pushed forward or to move, maneuver around. And a lot of opera singers have done it, like, but most of them do it later in life. Mm. So a lot of opera singers who do get pregnant do it in the middle of their career after they've had some acclaim and kind of gotten things rolling, and they take a few years off and, and have a baby and then come back. But not that far along yet. So. <laughs> but it's a, yeah, it's a risk, obviously. Yeah, it's a risk. It's, yeah. It definitely is a risk. Is that something you think about when you date now? Um, yeah, for sure, I definitely think about it when I date um, it was always on my mind because I, this, this has been my, my dream for a very long time, and so it's always been in my mind in my head to think about how far I could go if I wanted to go and have kids or if I you know it's something you always have to talk about, no matter who you are. Mm-hmm. But with me being an opera singer, I can't drop off the, the face of the earth for two for, you know for two months if I have an infant. You can't do that. And so I have to be aware. It
3: seems like all of these things in opera more so than other arts are so intimately intertwined. Like your physical body and the instrument that you're producing, the like hormones in your body and the ability of your sound. And even like we've talked about sort of like sexuality and dating and relationships with opera. Like sometimes it can be really helpful for your character to have – like talk, a
4: flirtatious like talk a, about a, that yeah yeah so like if you're playing a flirtatious character like having someone to flirt with helps like definitely <laughs> helps to use this as a as a form of reference um but some of the things that happen in operas is really dismal and you just hope none of that <laughs> stuff ever happens to you <laughs> so
2: well so you talked some about the body politics yeah. of opera are there racial politics too
4: that you bump up against yeah sometimes um sometimes it's in your face and sometimes it's behind closed doors. You never really know why you don't get anything. Well, like, why you don't get something. You never really have a 100% foolproof, like, unless someone tells you. Um, You really don't know why you didn't get hired. Um, But being black definitely helps in some places and hurts in other places.
3: Hmm. Are there many other black women around, like, at these auditions and competitions?
4: Oh, yeah. Yeah. Which I'm really excited about. I mean, the not just black women, but like Asian women and Indian women. And I mean, the people, all the different Mexican women. I mean, like all the different people you meet at these auditions are fantastic. Mm -hmm. And and you see the diversity of the Apple world in an audition room. Like you definitely see that. Um, And I love that it's that way. I love that it's that way. But at the same time, like there are things it's just like now because of the medium of television, there's some things you just don't fit in. And there's some things that you... Like, there's a lot of American opera. Um, but the biggest thing America has to draw on are things like slavery and times of segregation. Mm. And so there are a lot of American operas that I can perform in and that I just can't. Um, that won't make any sense for me to be in. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people are like, colorblind, 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 which I'm. I love colorblind casting. I mean, I was in a production this summer where the... I was in the Marriage of Figaro, and the Figaro was an Asian guy, and his understudy was black, and you know, and um, the 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 girl, the Countess, was um, was a Canadian lady, and I was her understudy, and then hmm. so it was it was wonderful that 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 it had this sort of diverse mixed group, but the, you don't always get cast like that in Mozart, you can do stuff like that, but in American opera.
1: the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. It's not
4: as easy.
3: All right, we're going to take a quick break here and bring you a conversation with our moms. So as we said in our first episode of the season, we're going to be bringing them on the show in every episode to share their thoughts about whatever topics we're talking about so on deck today we're curious to hear their thoughts on how pregnancy impacted their own bodies here are moms
5: yes number one i have heard about uh yes pregnancy changing a voice and i I only have heard of it because adele talked about it so that's how i know about it (laughs) how she
3: (laughs) well i'm just telling you the truth no what did she say is this in her concert that you went to
5: or no? Yeah, no, she didn't. I think she said it um, when we watched it. On, she has an interview on Delta and once on a flight. She was talking um, and she talked about how, you know, she, when she was pregnant with her son, she couldn't, the range was became quite different. And she, um, so she had to sort of um, adjust the kind of song she was singing and she couldn't get some of the high notes, but she could get much, much lower notes. So that's how I know about it because I, I, Adele talked about it. Um, in terms of my voice, I no, not
3: your voice, don't... just your body in general.
5: Oh yeah, I mean sure, your breasts become bigger, and I don't think they ever really become any like they don't shrink unless you sort of breastfeed for a prolonged time. Um, and then you know the darkening of the color that you get around your areola that stays. That I mean that never goes away again. Hmm. So those those changes are, you know are lifelong once you become pregnant and had kids. I mean, if you do your postnatal exercises, then you should get back. I, I mean, I always had a sort of a pot belly and I think, I mean, you do lose weight and things, but you still have that little pouch, you know, you don't, you don't go completely back to being sort of flat. So those changes stay, they, they don't, they don't revert to a pre-pregnancy state at all. Hmm.
3: Interesting. Very interesting.
5: <laughs> Indeed. Wow.
0: Well, everything changed. (laughs) As far as pregnancy itself, it was the funkiest experience I've ever had (laughs) in my whole life. Didn't
2: you say your hair texture changed or like your skin tone? Something, I remember Uh, you told me once that you
0: Well, I'm going to be rather candid. Oh, please. (laughs) The way I smelled changed. Yeah. Wow. I believe it. The way I experienced sensation in my skin, Hmm. what I could stand to be touched by... Or not? I mean, the the way clothing felt, sheets felt on my skin, somebody else touching me—total I, 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 mind blower, total mind blower. Huh. I mean, you, then you have all the the obvious physical changes, which were, you know, that was fine, but uh, that's kind of surprising. I mean, your body looks really different, and mm-hmm. it gets these odd markings on it. Mm-hmm. You know, you—I <laughs> remember vividly once. I, when I was pregnant with Lizzie, she was born in May, and in April, I was huge. <laughs> I felt enormous, and I had been really skinny when I got pregnant. And I remember saying to your dad, because some model was pregnant at the same time, and there were there were um, uh, pictures of her in a magazine, and she had a lot of swelling in her legs. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so I looked at that, and I said to to your dad, My legs don't look like that, do they? And he, in typical gym fashion, honestly said, well, yeah, they kind of (laughs) do. You know, it's just different. You're really different. Yeah.
2: Wow. Well, I mean, you give me so much
0: to look forward to. But the thing is, I wouldn't change a thing, regret any of it. It's the truth. Thank you, Mom. It's the truth. Okay. Well, uh, thanks for And I hardly endorse the experience for anyone who's interested in it. (laughs) Oh God! <laughs> you can edit I that out. I know you want a grandbaby. No, I don't. I'm oh, really you don't. Say I want one, but I would, I <laughs> would happily welcome one should either of my children decide at some point that they would like to be a parent. Yeah,
2: that's a whole nother conversation for a whole <laughs> another episode. Okay, okay,
0: okay. Love you, mom. Love you, baby.
2: Well, okay. You have the long view here. You know, you're nurturing this voice for 10 years. You're staying on the circuit. You're staying in front of people. What
4: keeps you hopeful? I think every time I stand up in front of an audience and I sing, I'm going to be in this character for this three minutes or this five minutes or this hour and a half. I'm going to be in this character. And when I do that, that gives me hope because then I don't have to be caught up in what my world brings me. I I can be caught up in what this person's world is. And I have something in me that doesn't belong to me. It never belonged to me. It was given to me as a gift, and I have to give it as a gift to the people around me. And if that means that that gift comes at a little sacrifice of me and some of the things that I have wanted my whole life or desired or thought I could do or thought I would have time for then I'm okay with that. Hmm. Um, I'm okay with giving this gift at a little cost to me. That's beautiful. I would love for you to
3: tell the story of when you sang in Italy and you had this sort of like transcendent <laughs> experience
4: with the orchestra and the crowd. So I first went to Italy to participate in this program called Music Academy International. Um, but I was there to sing Suorangelica S. Suor Angelica" for the first time with orchestra. I mean, I, I had sung with orchestra and the chorus before, but I'd never been the leading lady before. And I had the final show on the final day of the program. It was literally like a 36-hour day. But I got up that morning and I just I stretched and went in went into work, and I sang with everything I had. I gave it everything I had and went places I never thought I could go and. Sang with some of the best technique I'd ever sung with, and the audience loved me. In the birthplace of opera, I finished the last note and I fell on the ground because she it takes her a little while to die. And (laughs) (laughs) so I'm laying there, like, oh god, okay. Um, and um, they the lights go down and they start clapping. And it's never-ending. They're yelling, brava, brava. And I'm like, oh, my God, what is happening? This is, I'm, like, crying. <laughs> it was amazing. And all of the orchestra, the orchestra, they, you know, so you they, they clap for us, and then they, they raise the orchestra, and the orchestra stands up. Well, half the orchestra, when it was come time for their bell, I looked over at them, and half of them are standing up already because they were clapping oh. for, for for me and... <laughs> And of course then I'm really crying because that means 'cause that means a lot to me too. The oh, that the yeah. people that I've been working with felt my music felt the music with me. Hmm. We worked together, we played together. Um and and oh. so it was amazing. <laughs> so and so I think, okay, well, that was one experience in my life. I can chalk up to being really awesome. And so I put on my street clothes. And (laughs) was just like grungy little dress. And I was going to go watch the second half of the show because my show was first and then, which was the sad one. And then there was the really happy Johnny Skiki right after. And so um, I was like, okay, so now I'm going to put in my clothes and and go out and watch. And so I, I take my hair down and I'm in my street clothes, like trying to hide. And I come out of the side of the stage and they went crazy.
5: Oh, the entire God. artist,
4: they saw me and completely erupted and asked for autographs, and I'm I I, I was speechless. <laughs> I was quite speechless. Um, if that if there's any hope to be had, it was that yes. moment.
2: <laughs> Moments yes. like that. Yeah. Wow. Well, that just gave me chills. That's so amazing. <laughs> is there a video of that performance? Uh,
4: yes, there is actually. <laughs> you
2: need to send that over. Yes, <laughs> indeed.
3: It's Jamisa Yarborough singing in the role of Suare Angelica. We're going to be sharing links to her videos and photos on her Facebook and Instagram throughout the week, so be sure to check those out. Her voice is incredible, and you're going to want to see her in action.
2: It's pretty awesome. For sure. And you can stay on top of all of that by liking our Facebook page at She and Her Radio and following us on Instagram and Twitter at She and Her Radio. And our website is a clearinghouse for all kinds of She and Her Radio information. And you can find that at sheandherradio.com. Thank you guys for listening. We really appreciate it. And if you liked our show, rate us where you're finding us and tell your friends about us. Exactly. And we want to give a
3: special shout out to our intern for this full season, Anna hey Anna (laughs) Anna Kenneda Anna Kenneda is the best Uh, you're going to be hearing a bit more from her in a future episode so stay tuned Uh, but we're grateful for all of her contributions and we'll be back with you next week take care of yourself bye bye